This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, good morning. I'm Roshan Kandesan and welcome to Open for Business. Ever wish you could have invested in unlisted tech companies? Think things like OpenAI, Stripe or even SpaceX before they hit the public markets and quite possibly peak valuations. Well, for some, Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets, Alta, could be the answer. Founded in 2016, the startup formerly known as Funnel is trying to improve accessibility to an area of finance previously the domain of ultra-high net worth individuals and institutional investors. That's the private capital markets. Alta has facilitated over $600 million in over 1,500 transactions since, and this includes investments for companies such as SpaceX, Grab and Gojek. Today on Open for Business, you will hear about what inspired this venture, the experience of building this sizable alternative asset exchange, and the business opportunity that lies here with Kelvin Lee, co-founder and CEO of Alter. Kelvin, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Roshan. Um, Kelvin, first question, you know you know what's coming here. Um, what led you and your co-founders down the road of trying to build this business to improve access to private capital markets? It's a very niche thing to focus on. Um, what was the yeah. problem you were trying to solve? Yeah, thank you. So, you know, when I left uh, traditional banking careers, I was, you know, part of uh, investment bank um, previously working on IPOs and M&A. I looked at it from a generational shift um, whereby the new generation of younger entrepreneurs who are starting the generation of companies that you and I use every day, uh, they are firstly delaying their path to becoming a public company. So 20 years ago, the average Asian company, when it went public, was five and a half years. Uh, and, you know, as you said, there will still be a lot of upside if you invested in those companies 20 years ago. But today, the average issue of a company when they went public, when they go public, is about 12 and a half years, right? And I think that's where, you know, when I was a banker, you know, there was a lot of hesitancy when, when I when I did these deals, when I bought these companies to the public markets. And then looking at some of the regular investors that we brought on at these, uh, uh, during, this, uh, during this period, and then looking at how, you know, some of them actually did not perform well for IPO. So then if you look at the new generation of younger investors as well, uh, think about it. The most used, I, I guess, messaging app that we, we know uh, in this part of the world today is WhatsApp. And it was actually invented or created in 09. And we didn't have a chance to invest in WhatsApp when it was created. And obviously it was acquired by Facebook subsequently. Today you can actually invest in Discord, which is a new generation messaging app that a lot of the young generation are, are using. Uh, from as low as 400 US dollars per share on our exchange, right? So we're really bringing this new asset class to the new generation of younger investors who will relate, as an example, to um, private companies that they use every day and, you know, m- matching that group of investors with the new generation of entrepreneurs that are thinking about capital markets, their path um, to the capital markets very differently, right? And, you know, why should the world um, today whereby if you think about exchanges that were created, public exchanges that were created 50 years ago, um, before the internet was invented actually, uh, be the same, right? The infrastructure that we use to reward our entrepreneurs for taking the risk of starting their own companies, uh, you know, instead of pursuing a stable job, um, why should that capital markets be the same, right? Why can't we, the next generation, shape that narrative here? And that's really what drove us uh, to leave a traditional uh, career in banking to really match and think about this uh, problem uh, 
Vielen, vielen. Now, a, a big selling point here, I guess, is the accessibility to these companies that previously, you know, only investment bankers or people who had access to maybe people with second with, with shares who wanted to sell on a secondary basis, private markets. Um, but how accessible is that really? Because if I take a look at the Singapore website, for example, um, you know, you have to be accredited here and we're talking about an annual income of $300,000 a year for an individual investor or $2 million in assets. So how, how much are you really improving access to these kind of alternative assets? Mm -hmm. So the problem of access, I think it's twofold. The first problem is regulatory in nature. So it's really about um, protecting the um, larger population that should not um, you know, be, be accessing or accumulating a lot of the uh, of their portfolio in the illiquid asset class. Uh, and you know, different parts of the region from a regulatory point of view are progressing differently. Um, and you know, in Malaysia, as an example, we do allow retail investors to invest in local companies. Uh, and you know that that is the first problem of access that we deal with. The second problem of access, I think, is about uh, even with access, right? Which is, I think, the, the point that you were trying to make. What is that minimum ticket size mm. that even after jumping through all these hoops and getting myself accredited um, by Singapore standards, right? What is that minimum ticket size um, that uh, will make this asset class accessible? And this asset class being the best performing asset class. Uh, for decades, right, which is private equity that is missing from our portfolios, right? So it cannot be truly accessible if, like what you rightly mentioned, is still in the millions of dollars as the minimum. So today we brought it down to as low as, as I mentioned before, this court shares 400 US dollars per share. You can actually buy and sell on our exchange. And, uh, you know, we started this journey back in 2016. I remember by 2017, the minimum check size for investors to invest in uh, traditional VC type funds um, based in uh, Singapore was actually 50k US. Mm. So bringing, breaking that mold that we think about the super high net worth uh, guy that puts in $5 million US into a you know PKR type fund, we brought it down by 2017, which is one year after we started operations to 50k. And today is all the way down to 10k. And from as low as 400 US dollars, you can buy you know, single uh, shares of this card. Right. So really thinking about excess uh, that way. How are you guys doing this, Kelvin? Because you have to get the supply from somewhere, right? So if you're getting, you know, if you're selling Discord shares on your secondary market, on your exchange, or you're getting access to these VC funds out there, you need to get, I guess, these uh, these either shares from someone or you need to get the venture cap funds to believe in what you're doing here. Um, How are you able to do all this? Yeah, so maybe just a brief history here. So I think thinking about um, that problem about the new generation of companies, they're staying for a longer average life or age by the time we go public is 12 and a half years. Think about the early investors in them, right? So the average age for traditional PEVC fund is still eight to 10 years. So there's a mismatch of duration here. So they can't keep holding these companies in their portfolio. They have to recycle capital. So that's where you usually have your willing sellers. And that's really where you know, we started our secondary business back in 2018 helping some of these early investors, early shareholders exit some of the positions that they accumulated uh, at the start of the uh, startup cycle, right? And really as a, as, a, as a need for them to raise the next fund, they actually have to return capital to their LPs, which in this part of the world in Asia, a lot of the families who are LPs uh, in these funds are new to the asset class. So if you don't return money to, to them uh, and really reinforce their belief in the asset class, it's hard to raise your, your next fund as well. So there is a there is a circular problem, which is why we realized very quickly by the third year of operations that 
it wasn't sufficient providing someone uh, an investor just with access to invest in the asset class, um, you know, which was discussed earlier. It's actually very important to also provide them with liquidity, so the ability to sell. Otherwise, a regular person like me and you, we can't invest in you know this asset class a few thousand dollars every month when it's illiquid. So liquidity was important. Now, coming back to your question about where do we actually, how do we actually structure this uh, shares? Right? I mean, there are a couple of ways that we have done um, uh, in terms of being able to warehouse, which means that we will buy the shares first and then convert them into a form of um, shares that can be freely traded on our exchange. Uh, one of the methods, including uh, security tokenization, so tokenizing these securities, which are still shares, one is to one, will allow for faster trading of these shares on our exchange. Right? So then, that's one way. The other ways that we have done, uh, you know, that we can go into, including transferring of units, whereby the funds uh, themselves, these, these funds have positions that could be sold as secondary LP sticks in their, in their funds uh, that we've done as well. And thirdly, as, uh, as, as some of the early investors in Grab, uh, some of the VC files, we've actually done uh, SPV level sort of uh, transfers to buy the funds, they will sell the SPVs that they use the old investments in, in these companies to another group of investors. So many uh, various methods that we have uh, utilized to to do so. But I think the most promising one is the one that we've used with Discord, whereby we actually take down the shares ourselves first, convert them into a more freely tradable format uh, using tokenization, uh, and then allow you to freely trade on the exchange. So with something like that one, the, the way you've gone with tokenization and Discord, you are putting the capital up front to buy these shares first, correct? And then you are doing the processing and breaking it up and, and selling it on your exchange. That comes with a lot more risk, I, I presume, and a lot more capital needed to do so. Uh, Michael, we'll, we'll dive into that uh, a little deeper in just a bit. Uh, very quickly, though, just to clarify, when you say SPV, you mean special purpose vehicle, right? So a new company that's put together to take on the shares so that then you can do what you need to for your platform. Correct. So some of these investors, um, EC funds, they would set up vehicles to own investments in you know, Grab or even Gojek uh, at the point in time. Um, and those vehicles are easier, basically, to, to trade. All right. Um, Kelvin, we'll be back in just a bit. We've got to go into a few messages. Folks, I've been speaking with Kelvin Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Alta, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets. I'm Roshan Kernison. You've been listening to Open for Business. Keep it here at BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Before Friday materializes, BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Hey, your folks, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanison, and this morning I'm speaking with Kelvin Lee. He's the co-founder and CEO of Alta, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets that has previously given access to investors to companies such as SpaceX, Grab, and Gojek. Um... Kelvin, earlier we were talking a little bit about the supply side, right? You, in order for your customers and your users to get access to deals like SpaceX and Gojek and Grab, or as you uh, mentioned earlier, Discord is something on your platform right now, you have to be able to source those deals as well. And there are a variety of ways that you talked about earlier. Um, maybe you can also talk to us about, because it's important for you to curate all this for your 
platform as well. You don't want anything to go on the platform. Yes, big names like Discord sound good, but I'm sure there are other businesses there that aren't as famous. Talk to us about what goes into deal uh, selection and curation or asset selection and curation uh, on the platform. Sure. So I think, you know, interestingly enough, when we began our journey back in 2016, uh, we were really looking and really hopeful that um, investors in this part of the world would want to invest in Southeast Asian champions, the our champions that we use every day. Uh, and, you know, really quickly being um, able to align our own uh, capital with our own uh, view of the world. Um, that could be true. Um, but at the same time, because exits have been quite difficult in this part of the world, and everyone knows uh, this problem here, just not, not just with tech companies, but in general, uh, we realized that investors actually do or should diversify outside of our region. So, you know, being able to then layer on uh, international funds, so traditional private equity type, or even private credit funds, uh, these days are really um, the flavor of uh, the past few years, um, have been quite interesting. So when we looked at uh, the business in 2016, we wouldn't have thought about you know, private credit funds, for example, the given interest rate, interest rate environments uh, then. Um, but you know, these asset class are being added as a response to what investors were telling us that, hey, you know, besides the local champions, the regional champions, the global champions like SpaceX, et cetera, et cetera, we actually want more traditional asset classes, right? And can you please break it down for us, uh, reduce the ticket size, allow us to invest, but really help us also subsequent to investing that, you know, 50K check or 100K check into all these top tier funds, give us a, a, an avenue to recycle my capital, right? To exit, which is why like we managed to structure something interesting for one of the top or largest private credit uh, strategies uh, in the US uh, for a fund called Hamilton Lane. And Hamilton Lane is one of the largest uh, strategies in the US that is now uh, private credit strategies that is now um, listed on our exchange with daily liquidity. So being able now as a, as a regular investor, investing in the traditional private credit fund to park money with the fund, but when you need the cash to sell it on the exchange for cash, and that's where, you know, you have that exposure to a private equity strategy that you, mm -hmm. private credit strategy that you never had before, right? So what I'm trying to say is that it's really an evolving uh, palette of deals that um, our investors are looking for. And, you know, during uh, COVID lockdown, an example, whereby you know, we couldn't travel. We realized there was a spike in activity in our platform. You know, that was actually the year <laughs> unprofitable uh, as well, which is interesting. But, you know, people were not just looking for international deals in Malaysia. The best deals were actually local deals. And locals were supporting local, local businesses, which really, really made us very happy. But beyond that, we realized that, you know, people were also trying to hedge uh, their portfolios with um, not just equity, so company shares, but actually looking at real assets. So that was the period where we structured our products whereby, you know, we are able to invest in rare uh, assets, like, you know, even rare, rare arts. So we did Arctic art as an example, uh, rare, rare whiskeys, rare wines, uh, property as an example, at that point in time had a lot of interest. So being able now to think about the alternative asset universe a bit differently, shifting away from just purely companies into, you know, everything else that is in the alternative world, and uh, that could be or should be in our portfolios that is currently not in our portfolio. And looking at that allocation from a more systematic point of view that most of us today should have 15% of our portfolio into alternatives. But today we have zero. Mm -hmm. How did we go from zero to 15% systematically? So 
Um, Kelvin, there, I'm pretty sure there is a certain level of sophistication that is required in order for an investor to truly appreciate um, the services and the alternative access that you're giving them access to. So talk to us a little bit about the intended target market here. Are you talking about, um, are you looking at more individuals or have you seen more institutions come into play, especially mm-hmm. given the access that you're able to provide in a much more, you know, you're, they're able to outsource the, um, essentially the paperwork and the to you to do it. So where, where are you seeing the target market for this? That's a really interesting question. And, you know, when we started the uh, company back in 2016, we didn't have all these, you know, nice stats to back us up. Um, but recently, like, uh, both McKinsey and Bain released some interesting market re- uh, reports. Whereby, if you mentioned entire world's uh, globally pool of capital available, right, without retail investors, just your traditional institutional investors, plus your family of offices and mass affluent. Uh, and this entire world's cap- uh, pool of capital is it's a circle between me and you right now. Approximately half that circle are what we will call traditional institutional investors. So they are, you know, insurance companies, your pension funds, your strong wealth funds, your traditional guys that, you know, in our, in our minds are the ones investing it or should be the ones investing in public. And these are the ones that are getting richer. These are the ones that are already overexposed to the asset class. Guess what? The other half of the circle, right, which is undercovered, underserved, the mass affluent uh, regular people, um, the family offices, especially uh, in, in, in fragmented Asia or Southeast Asia, it's the fastest growing segment. We actually don't have access to the asset class, right? And because we are so fragmented, we, we find it challenging uh, to cover this segment with a traditional bank branch hmm. or RM networks. And so along the way, our journey started, you know, once we started serving institutional uh, investors as a, uh, as, a, as a core customer, where we first started in 2016, we very quickly shifted by 2017, 2018 to the next half, the family offices and the mass affluent, whereby we found our HM and our differentiator to really provide um, access and liquidity for that segment, right? Because how often does your, you know, Kazana buy and sell shares every day? They don't, mm. they don't, but your mass affluent, your family offices is going to do it more often and more frequently. For an exchange, we need that volume, we need that uh, uh, demographic of people to be the most actively uh, engaging on our exchange, right? And I think that's where we found our product markets fit uh, and really steal towards uh, thinking about not just um, the institutional investors, but really how do we get to the mass affluent uh, in Asia? Well, what's the uh, uh, ballpark customer mix looking like today? So approximately one third would be institutional investors uh, and another one third would be the mass low and plus family offices and the remaining one third retail investors uh, for us. And I think uh, from a geographical point of view, approximately half will be Southeast Asia, but the other half will be the rest of the world. Mm. It's a really interesting, uh, you know, mix, maybe, you know, because of COVID or really because people have been, or global investors have been seeing ASEAN as a bright spot in, you know, very troubled world uh, for growth and really thinking about how to get involved uh, in, in our growth in ASEAN uh, by participating in uh, an asset class that I think uh, is less volatile than the public markets and being able to system- systematically allocate their uh, portfolio into the asset class through funds uh, is, is, is uh, interesting. So mass affluent, we're talking about people uh, who are accredited? Uh, massive flowing will be accredited investors. And then the retail investors are uh, unaccredited, um, man on the street kind of vibes here. Uh, but what, uh, and but you, as you said earlier, 
let's say in the Malaysia's uh, retail investors, they only allow or they can only get access to local businesses. Uh, is that right? So what kind of deals do they or what kind of assets do they have access to? So it would be mostly local companies uh, that have been raising uh, as a bridge towards the other sub listing, as an example. Understood. Right. So if you think about the whole ecosystem that we have created, uh, today we have three uh, lines of business. The first business is a brokerage, uh, which are licensed in Singapore and Malaysia, right? In Malaysia, including retail. Uh, we have an exchange that's licensed in Singapore. It's called a securities exchange. And that's really an alternative, really, to think about Am I going to get access to the capital markets by listing on Bursa, the SGX, or elsewhere, right? Why should a company think about um, NASDAQ or, or you know, London Stock Exchange or even Hong Kong Exchange, whereby it's very difficult to imagine the investors in those parts of the world, right? Like so far away from the kind of point where, you know, Johor is just an example. <laughs> Why would they spend time understanding your company, right? Mm. So our exchange wants to be that alternative for you as SME owner to, to actually list your company, right? And then we have a fund management business. Also, these three arms of business uh, will, will serve different segments of um, the community. And to the question about what can be uh, accessible for Malaysian investors, what I'm told actually is that a lot of the, the retail investors that we have are in Malaysia are not exactly, you know, your retail investors. They're just unaccredited. So mm. they haven't gone through the accreditation process and they could actually really well be, you know, accredited investors or sophisticated investors. Um, that are that are seeking a better way to allocate um, into a professionally managed funds. So being able to now get exposure to the asset class without stock picking, mm. without picking, which, which is something that I think you know we did a, a very successful launch of a micro fund in uh, Malaysia, whereby retail investors or you no know, um, angel investors essentially allocate into the fund. And the fund will deploy on the behalf of the investors into all these tech startups. So then it's your you know exposure to the private asset class without you actually stop picking. So there is diversification of risk for you as an investor, and you don't have to be you know um, you don't have to actually pay for superior access than your private banker or your ultra high net worth friend essentially, right? Because you're actually giving it to your fund manager to do a little bit. Up next, we'll get into what the rebranding from Funnel to Alter says about this company's future, as well as a sense for the business model and revenue generation ahead. Folks, I've been speaking with Kelvin Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Alter, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets. I'm Roshan Kanasin. We're going into the news bulletin right now, but we'll be back in just a bit with Open for Business here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Billions from me. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this morning I've been having a engaging conversation with Kelvin Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Alter, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets, giving uh, investors access to all sorts of alternative assets, including private markets, uh, private capital market access to things like uh, Grab, Gojek, and even SpaceX. And currently, I think one of the deals on the platform is Discord. Kelvin, the firm has come a long way since launching in 2016. Today, your average deal size is 10 million US dollars, double the amount facilitated when you first launched 
back in uh, 2016, where you saw six deals uh, successfully funded for a total of five million US dollars. Looking back, talk to us about you know the most challenging part in building Alta as it stands today. Yeah, thank you. So I think you know the challenge as we hear for us, we think that the new generation of entrepreneurs uh, and the new generation of investors need a better capital markets to service. Um, and that vision, you know, even though it was reversed, um, we needed to convince other people besides us to buy into that vision. So it's definitely going to be the, the problem of recruiting um, the right people to work on the problem alongside us to solve this. Uh, that was the, 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 the biggest challenge when we started. And, you know, any business, I'm sure it's not just ours, uh, human capital is, is key, right? So always work on a person, always work on the people, and the people will build your business. Kevin, what was what was more challenging? Getting people on board with the mission or trying to get your early, your first customers uh, to to believe in what you were doing, like to get people to either use your brokerage or your exchange? Or which was the more which was the more difficult conversations earlier on? I think that for us, it's always been about the, the people, mm. uh, the recruiting people to work on this problem because everyone has, you know, alternative options to, to you know, spend their time. And, you know, convincing them this is, this is worthwhile. This is something that you can tell your kids that you work on, you know, building a next generation capital markets uh, for them, right? So when they come together with their friends in the future from school, come together, have a good idea, right? You might actually get your first round of VC funding, great, good for you, but... What is going to, who's going to support you after that, right? Is, are the banks going to take the deal? You're not sure, you know, they have, they have their own problems as well. And, you know, getting them to believe in that vision and forgoing everything else they have um, to, to slog it out with us uh, was a lot more difficult than getting the first customers mm. uh, from our perspective. Today, all sorts of private capital market assets on your platform, uh, including uh, private credit. But what did the MVP look like and what was the process like of building it? So when we first started, um, you know, obviously being very naive uh, <laughs> as bankers, uh, you know, funded it purely for life savings. Um, we, you know, outsourced the technology to, uh, uh, you know, a tech firm to build, thinking that the commercial aspects was the most important, right? Obviously, we were proven wrong and obviously, you know, we had to restart the whole process again um, and really, you know, worked on an MVP which looked like a uh, very, very, very rudimentary uh, investment platform to invest in a very traditional SME company, uh, which I'm told that today there are some banks that um, are using similar sort of software to match between uh, their banking clients and a pool of investors that want to invest in these uh, clients. So it's a very, very basic uh, rudimentary investment platform uh, when we started. And... When did you know you had a product market fit? Was there a particular moment where you're like, all right, all right, gang, we've got it. You know, we're on the right path. Yeah. So I think that turning point maybe came towards end of 2017, 20, beginning of 2018, but we realized we could raise a lot more money than some of the uh, uh, companies and even the aggregate amount of uh, money raised on some of the traditional public exchanges for SMEs. Mm. So not the main board, but you know, the 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 ACE or the, the capitalist board in Singapore um, and make it a lot more cost-effective for the entrepreneur. For the entrepreneur who build your business, every dollar saved, not spent on you know, all these uh, external pizza here, dollar need, right? So I think that's where, you know, by being able to deliver more capital to these SMEs, for them to create jobs and create employment uh, in a faster and more scalable manner, we realized that 
um, you know, the same technology that we have, if you applied it to distribute other things like funds, I mean, you mentioned the reason why we rebranded from, you know, funnel, uh, which was really focused on funneling, right? So really connecting a segment of uh, SME clients with investors to Alta, which is, you know, alternative investments for all, uh, was really thinking about this problem as not just from a you know single asset class, which is companies, to everything that's alternative, right? So thinking about uh, you know private credit fund, your you know VC fund, your real assets, so your property, rare wines, rare art, uh, rare whiskies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, today we have you know one of the largest uh, privately held uh, life insurance companies potentially listing on our exchange as well, right? That is serving the region. Uh, that now you know you can actually as a uh, investor invest in them, right? And I think in, in this company, which is you know a milestone for us, so being able to really grow uh, ecosystem over time, to incorporate more and more traditional uh, sort of issuers that are somehow you know bypassing the public listing process or maybe delaying it further, um, and then really using our solution as a intermediate option for liquidity, um, you know, was was really what we were. Um, thinking about when we built it, but obviously we had to build it, building blocks, you know, very, very baby steps uh, from MVP all the way to, you know, cringing uh, sort of uh, <laughs> product, you know, uh, presentation documents, right, um, when we started. And, you know, nowadays, uh, and now last year you went in and you went and acquired a company that essentially has brought in new tech for you to utilize the tokenization support and digital yeah. custody for alternative assets, um, this was HTX, which has been now rebranded as Alta Exchange, in line with your larger rebranding last year. Um, come and talk to us a little bit about what the rebranding plus this acquisition of the of HTX tells us about the future of uh, Alta. Sure. So Funnel was our brokerage, so it was the uh, solution for access. So being able to facilitate that initial investment into a company. Uh, HG Exchange or HGX is actually our uh, fully licensed, uh, recognized market operator securities exchange in Singapore. And HG actually, if you know the periodic tables, is the chemical symbol for mercury, it's a semi-liquid metal, it's reliable, it's in thermometers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we wanted HGX um, to be um, uh, a standalone governizing uh, exchange, right? Whereby other brokerage uh, players um, who are traditional incumbents in the industry can join as a member of the exchange and across the trades on the exchange with their own investors and issuers uh, without funnel being involved. So that was the genesis of the exchange, right? If you look at the history of exchanges globally, we realized that most exchanges globally began their lives as mutual exchanges, serving the needs of all these incumbents, traditional brokerage houses, that want to serve the SME clients, that want to serve their investors, right? And over time, the problem that we are seeing today is that a lot of the exchanges themselves became companies and listed themselves on their own exchange. And when that happened, uh, there was an agency um, problem whereby you have inherited a set of shareholders that are pushing you for share price optimization. Uh, and you know, if you were the you know, CEO of the exchange and you have one unit of resource today, uh, would you allocate the unit of resource to make money at all costs from trading derivatives or indices? Or would you, you know, spend that one unit of resource to help an SME list? The listing gets you more publicity, but the revenue-wise, you're not sure. So I think that's where, um, you know, by merging or acquiring uh, his checks, uh, 
we managed to think about how we can actually start moving a lot faster and yet not alienating uh, incumbents and you know, traditional players uh, in the in the industry that we want to attract and retain uh, and really move faster. So I think that's really the reason why we um, acquired the exchange. And uh, uh, with the rebranding to Altair, we started thinking about the problem, not just from the point of view of the company or the issuers, but really the point of view of the investor, the same investor who wants to invest in the traditional SME, who wants to diversify the portfolio into the US, you know, companies like SpaceX, who wants to become a, you know, LP in a, in a global fund, uh, who wants to invest in all these rare assets. Um, that person may not want to open accounts with so many different places, right? So what is that lowest common denominator product that we can sh- we can show that person to entice that person to come in to open an account with us and then, you know, cross-sell these products, other products, traditional products to them. Up next, we'll tap into the business model that powers all this as well as their fundraising plans and path ahead. Folks, I've been speaking with Kelvin Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Alta, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this morning I'm speaking with Kelvin Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Alta, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative access, giving uh, regular investors as well as the more sophisticated ones access to more parts of the private capital markets, including equity and credit assets. Kelvin, as it stands, um, three lines of business, as you talked about earlier, uh, but all these lines of business, brokerage, exchange, and fund management typically rely on fees, a fee-based system, with brokerage typically getting a little bit of that downward pressure. Talk to us about the business model that powers this uh, your company today, and um, what kind of revenue generation are you seeing today? Sure. So you're right. Um, you know, the interesting part of the ecosystem um Stood out that stood out to us really that we didn't want to build all these three lines of business ourselves, but we had to because there was no one else actually um, trying to serve this segment. Um, every time we tried to innovate, we had to be relying on traditional cost structures from you know established players, which didn't really work for the kind of like um, low cost model that we wanted to to do or to build the business on. Therefore, passing on these uh, cost savings to investors so that they can actually invest in the asset class cheaply. And because there was no one else doing it, we had to build it ourselves. So by building it ourselves, though, we moved away from being purely focused on transaction revenues, which is the brokerage revenue, to an exchange revenue uh, model, which is highly reliant on transactions, but not just from uh, our brokerage business, but even between other member firms of the exchange. We put about 10 member firms on the exchange today. So other organizations besides ourselves that are trading and using the exchange infrastructure to trade that will generate revenues for the exchange. But also subsequently, uh, there is traditional custody revenue as well that the exchange derives um, that are more recurring in nature. So being able to charge um, for custody for traditional uh, companies uh, is something that is uh, 
that is new to us all, but we had to build it because there's no one else doing it. And then finally, for our management, actually, our management business is a lot more recurring, a lot more you know, AUM based. And I think that's where, you know, true single asset uh, vehicles, so where we create vehicles to invest in, you know, comp- single companies like SpaceX, Discord, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Stripe recently as well. Um, we can actually have a recurring revenue model, plus even potentially, um, you know, upside from uh, some of the carry uh, should the uh, investment perform well subsequently. So that essentially is the way we, we saw the revenue model shift from being purely uh, focused on brokerage all the way to uh, in multiple sources of revenues today that's more recurring in nature. That being said though, like when we, uh, you know, went through COVID, um, you know, we only had that uh, brokerage revenue to tie us through. And as I shared earlier uh, on the show, actually we were fortunate enough that during uh, in the pandemic where I know no one could travel. <laughs> uh, we actually had one of our best two years uh, on, on the platform and, you know, thankfully, um, you know, managed to turn uh, a small profit. And in fact, in Malaysia, post getting our license, we were stand alone as an entity, as a country, uh, profitable in one and a half years. So it's not, um, uh, you know, that, that race to burn model that everyone thinks mm. about or, you know, tech companies for us. You know, in our entire seven years history of Grace, uh, modestly, you know, less than $20 million uh, in aggregate for our own, for ourselves. And uh, we operate in several countries across three different business lines. So we need to actually turn a uh, profit. Otherwise, it'd be quite tough to uh, sustain the level of operations that we have. Well, what are the, I guess, the revenue contributions of these different business uh, revenue streams as a percentage of uh, revenue. Maybe just give us like the what are the top three uh, revenue streams for you? Sure. So for now, it's definitely still the brokerage that contributes to the majority, and then followed by the exchange revenues. And but very quickly catching up uh, these days, the fund management AUM uh, revenues that are more recurring in nature that have a lot of sticky uh, stickiness to it. And what are the gross margins that you're seeing for either overall or for the different revenue streams that you're seeing? Which are the better margins, thinner margins, and overall, what are the gross margins looking like? I think one of the more interesting um, uh, theories that there is to this asset class is that unlike the public markets, um, whereby, you know, most of the brokerages are forced to reduce their fees to compete because you're offering investors the ability to uh, to invest in the same underlying, right? So we, you buy Apple from this brokerage versus on the other brokerage, it's, it's the same underlying, whereby the only competing factor you have is either user experience or, you know, leverage or, you know, fees, right? Uh, in the private asset uh, world, I think the uh, fee margins are relatively still quite uh, uh, healthy. And I think that ranges between different different markets at different uh, fee levels. Um, but in general, we're seeing fee levels of between 2% to 5%. Mm. Right, which as a brokerage firm is actually quite healthy. Um, and in terms of you know, exchange uh, trading fees, um, actually we still see quite a few uh, variants uh, or, or range by ranges between uh, 20 basis points to about 50 basis points, depending again on the complexity of the product, the structure uh, required. And our fund management actually is pretty uh, standard. We are seeing a range of between one uh, to 2.5% AUM fees. And all the way to into the carry, we have seen from 10%, obviously we have seen 0%, but also 
Uh, in general, if you have a monetized carry, you have seen uh, structures between 10% to even 25% on really hard to get needs. Um, where's Alta in terms of revenue generation uh, today? I think in terms of, I'm going to strictly say that seven <laughs> ringgit for sure, uh, seven digits in ringgit, uh, which is which is something that um, we hope will will grow as the market recovers. And uh, you know, last year was a terrible year, not just for us, I think, but for entire industry uh, in general. So compared to last year, you know, we are you know ten times up, that for sure. Mm. But you know, the the world is you know in a certain place today, and we are very sentiment driven, right? So you know, we hope, even though we are you know quite uh, uh, positive or optimistically uh, positive, we are always preparing for any potential downside uh, scenarios as well, right? So COVID was one example, but who knows where the next uh, you know crisis will be. So always thinking about future proofing and, you know, really thinking about um, solidifying our revenue base and our, our use case as well to really become a critical infrastructure that is built to serve our generation, right? So I think if I can spend some time talking a little bit about this is that if you think about um, all of the public companies today that you are able to invest in, and that is, you know, the segment that is the tip of the iceberg, right? So as I mentioned earlier in the show that uh, there are more and more companies that are uh, being delisted globally and there are less and less companies coming to market as quickly, right? So the universe of investable public companies are actually shrinking mm. from the tip of the iceberg. And the rest of the iceberg, I'm not saying that every company uh, is good or should be investable, but the rest of the iceberg today, the private companies that create the most jobs in most countries there is no critical infrastructure here uh, that has been built, especially for our region, to support investing uh, in, the, in these companies in this asset class, right? And I think that's where, you know, moving away from being overly focused on revenue, uh, on, you know, generating as much profit as possible, we're actually more focused on, you know, building that critical infrastructure, connecting that, connecting our region, right? Connecting our new generation of entrepreneurs who are starting companies. We've got to incentivize them about getting to create companies and it'll create jobs for society. And I think that's uh, what is missing today, that you know the current public exchanges are trying to serve, but somehow, sometimes so unable to fully serve the, the market. That is that rest of the iceberg that is not seen today, right? And I think um, we hope that we will become the dominant uh, uh, player, not just in Southeast Asia, but hopefully globally as well. Your business, I guess, is a bit cyclical in nature. When markets are good, there's a bit of a risk on appetite. Everyone is transacting more. Uh, but in an appetite where you've got higher rates and things like that, it's a bit more conservative. Talk to us a little bit about what the path of sustainable profitability looks like for Alta. Sure. So I think, thankfully, like, um, even with um, a very modest uh, operational expense, our uh, profitable um, the, the path to profitability is not extremely high. Mm. So by being able to do what you rightly quoted, your seven, your low seven-digit um, uh, revenues, we can be easily profitable. And, you know, apart from that, like we have been very prudent in terms of um, OPEX. So we're not looking to grow beyond uh, what we think our revenues can sustain us. Uh, and then finally, from external funding sources, I think, we have been approached by several strategic investors uh, in terms of new markets that we want to go into. 
um, to actually fund our expansion in these markets as well. So not having to actually spend our own uh, organically generated, uh, well, uh, let it come to actually fund new CapEx projects is actually very helpful. Mm. Uh, and being able to leverage on these new investors and their licenses and networks in those countries uh, helps grow our network uh, of investors exponentially as well in markets that we will find it hard to access without these local partners. So I think uh, the current strategy is to try to do as much as possible with as little as uh, required from our own capital and relying on their own networks and you know their own uh, uh, licenses as well. Delvin, with the few minutes that we have left here, what do you think is the most likely kind of exit for uh, a company such as Alter? Sure. So I think a lot of um, players globally uh, that have been you know, operating uh, adjacent to our space have been acquired. So, you know, as an example, Nasdaq has their own variant of Nasdaq private markets post an acquisition as well. Uh, Forge, uh, who's a player in the US, recently uh, acquired shares post. So acquisition seems to be the most uh, or clearer way uh, from an exit perspective. And because, as we all know, Southeast Asia is very fragmented part of the world, very, very hard for a global player to access without local knowledge and for them to actually build the pipes into every single country, uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of time, number one. And it doesn't actually uh, mean that they are able to get the same necessary licenses to operate. So we think that we have some scarcity value uh, embedded uh, because of the footprint that we're operating in, uh, not to mention the, you know, probably the largest uh, network of uh, investors uh, in the region uh, that will really help accelerate anyone's uh, aspirations to land and operate uh, in the region as well. Kelvin, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Folks, I've been speaking with Kelvin Lee. He's the co-founder and CEO of Alta, a Singapore-based marketplace for alternative assets. I'm Roshan Kunison. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.